0: Man, with that opening set, I thought, man, we should get some uh, sawdust, throw it out there, have a little hoe down, a little good fun there, okay well, uh just to give you an update on the bunch family, uh, my daughter Jordan walked down the aisle for the first time yesterday, and um, she was a flower girl at a wedding that I was doing, and you know, I was all kind of big and bad and thought, man, this, this is going to be no problem whatsoever and uh She started walking down the aisle, and all of a sudden she fell, and I got on my knees and started bawling like a baby, going, it's okay, come here, you know, and uh, she ran all the way up then and gave me a hug, and that was it, and everyone probably at the wedding who had no idea that was my daughter thought, man, he really loves kids, you know. Well, my name's Chris, and uh, if you are uh, visiting with us for the first time, we're so grateful that you're here, and if there's any way that we can serve you, um, please let us know. Uh, We're in the middle of a series this summer, it's our summer series, called uh, Pursuing Spiritual Excellence, and what we've done is we've gone through a book of the Bible called Daniel, and we have uh, been dealing with this book all summer long, and it's a book in the Old Testament, uh, the first half of the Bible. And as we've been going through this study, we've realized that there are kind of two main characters in the first few chapters. Uh, One is Daniel, the guy who wrote the book, and the second one is King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you haven't been here, you'll catch up real quick. But those are kind of the two main characters. And when we get to chapter 5, we learn that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man in the entire world in the 6th century B.C., he uh, he died. And the throne was passed on to his son, a guy by the name of Belshazzar. That's kind of fun. Uh, Let's all say that together. One, two, three. Belshazzar. All right. Good. And um, we find out Belshazzar's true character right at the beginning of this teaching uh, or the beginning of this scripture because he throws a party for thousands of noble people. And he throws this party, and it's a red carpet type of affair. I mean, only the movers and shakers of the world really were invited. And it was a party for the ages. In fact, in these first four verses, there's a verb that is mentioned five times, and it kind of tells you what the main priority of the party was. And so I'd like to see if you can figure out what that verb is. So in Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1, we read, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and wood and stone. Now what is the verb that is mentioned over and over again? What is that verb? To drink to drink five different times. Now, that's what was going on at this party. It was a drinking party, and there were women that were invited to the banquet. And they're really, really enjoying themselves and having a good time. It was kind of like this rave, and everyone was getting wasted. Now, Belshazzar is deciding to give in to any of his appetite that he wishes, And he's encouraging every other person that's there to kind of do the same thing. And he does not spare any cost for this party. Now, on this particular occasion, the wine and the women are going really, really well. But he finally gets bored. And he starts sensing that the crowd is getting bored with the party, too. And so he has an idea to kind of spice up the party. He remembers these goblets that his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, had obtained many decades earlier. They were extremely valuable. And more than that, they were considered sacred or holy objects. They had never been used for anything whatsoever except for worshiping and honoring the God of Israel. So the king decides to kind of up the entertainment ante a little bit to kind of get the boredom factor away. And he takes these two vessels that have been dedicated to God and he uses them to mock God in this drinking orgy party. It would kind of be like uh, taking uh, this particular Bible And if we ripped off the pages and we all rolled a few joints and we smoked them and we said, there, God. It'd be just like that. Now let me stop there just for a second. In verse 2 it says this. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold... And the silver goblets. Now the implication here is that the alcohol prompted him to do that something that he would never do in his right mind if he was sober. And so clearly, it's highlighting the issue the writer is of wine. Now let me say a word about this. I don't know what background you came from, but I grew up in a family and in a, in a church in which they took a lot of pride in not touching wine. In fact, one of the ways that you could tell the difference between spiritual people and sinful people was spiritual people never allowed wine to cross their lips. Now, the problem with this stance was that when you look at all of Scripture, there are some verses that can become quite embarrassing. For example, I'll uh, read one to you in uh, Psalm 104:15, and uh, just so the sound guys know, if I could get the uh, oh the uh, flip chart, that would be great. Um, so here's this one: Psalm 104:15. God makes wine that gladdens the heart of men. Now, if you're telling me that people are the most spiritual kind, That don't drink, what are you going to do with this verse, right? And then when you get to the New Testament, it even gets worse. We know that Jesus turned water into wine. And that Jesus drank wine himself. And finally, it gets to a point that it becomes very embarrassing to admit that you are spiritual because you don't drink wine, because you admit then that you're a part of a system that says you're more holy than Jesus is. You see how that can get kind of weird very quickly? So I want to be very clear that the biblical writers do not say that abstaining from alcohol makes you spiritual. And it's something that I was very confused about uh, throughout much of my life. But on the other hand, I really want to say this. The abuse of alcohol or the misuse of alcohol... Has caused a lot of untold suffering in our world. Suffering that we would uh, just can't even imagine. And that's what the story this morning is talking about. Because there was this struggle with alcohol, eventually this guy, Belshazzar, loses his life. I think Daniel here wants us to understand that King Belshazzar sinks to a point. That he would have never sunk to if he had been sober. And the reason I bring this up is because there are people in my family, there are friends that I know who have a huge struggle with the issue of alcohol abuse. And I have a feeling that in a group of size of people this big in this gym, that some of you are either struggling with alcohol abuse or you know someone that is. And all too often, what happens is we just kind of avoid the issue. We just kind of avoid the whole issue of talking about it in the church. We just walk away from it. And yet the truth is, this is an addiction that has caused more destruction and more devastation than almost anything else uh, the world has ever struggled with. Well, about... 18 months ago, I was looking at Muncie in Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana, and I realized what a battle that we're having with alcohol abuse, drug abuse uh, in our community, and we're simply not doing much as a church. And so in my time in prayer, I talked to the staff and the leadership team, and as we came together, we uh, decided that we weren't going to be silent on this issue anymore. And so over the past year we have gathered together a group of folks who will be working together, uh, or who have been working together for a year to work on a recovery ministry. And in the next few months, we will start this. It will be a Christ-centered, 12-step program called Celebrate Recovery. And what it does is it helps people to find freedom from their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. And the thing that I like about it so much is that it celebrates recovery. And alcohol and drug abuse will be one of the groups, but there will be other things that we'll be helping people with as well. Things like depression and things like going through a difficult divorce, going through the death of a loved one, life issues that we just don't have a safe place to talk about. We're going to provide that safe place for everyone in the church and people in our community. Now in September, we'll kind of talk about this ministry a little bit more, but until then, I'd like you to pull out, when you walked in today, in your program you received a little sheet that looked like this. And until September comes, when you might have an opportunity to be a part of the launch team, there are a few things that we'd like you to be praying for, and you can see the three of them that are right there. And one of the things uh, that will be coming up is this week, we are sending two people from the team to California to, uh, in that tough? You're like, man, I'm ready to sign up for that now, you know. But two people, they're going to California to uh, Saddleback Church, where Rick Warren, who is the pastor there and uh, the writer of Purpose Driven Life, um, is having a huge conference dealing with this issue, trying to help people through it. And so you can be praying for them. And so I'd like you to take this, and even if you forget all my teaching notes, that's all right. But I'd like you to hold on to this and commit at least to one time this week that you would pray for uh, the couple of guys that are going. And in particular, to be praying for our leaders, which are on this first Uh, kind of prayer. Uh, Abby Guthrie, Don and Sue Royal, Chad Morris, Kendall Baker, Jana Goble, Cindy Lynch, and uh, our ministry leader, who's Chuck Mock. So if you could be doing that, that'd be great. Now, until this gets up and going, I just want to say this, that if you yourself are battling with alcohol abuse or drug abuse, or you know someone that is, please call the church office because we want to be there for you. And we may not be able to do something in-house right now, but we can gear and direct you towards something that will help. And uh, I think this is going to be maybe one of the most exciting things that the JAR has ever done in our four years to really meet the needs of uh, one of the biggest diseases in our community. In fact, let's just pray for this new ministry as uh, it gets started. Well, Lord, we thank you for... uh, Your love that lets us know that uh, we're not alone when we go through tough things, and God, I know that in our community that um, there are drug and alcohol abuse is is so rampant, and we just want to be the type of church, God, that really helps people to know that they're loved, that they're cared for, and that God wants to help them uh, to live a more abundant life, and so would you show us as a church how to do that, and would you be with uh, the leaders of Celebrate Recovery? And would you uh, use them uh, in such a way that as this gets launched, that, uh, God, we would have a true light in darkness in our community. Um, I pray especially for uh, Chuck Mock as he leads this group, that you would give him the strength and power that he needs to uh, follow you and uh, to fulfill the call on his life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, where are we at? Well, so far we know that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has had this huge party, this drunken orgy, and then all of a sudden he has an intervention. And within this intervention, it gets kind of difficult. Let's look at uh, verse uh, 5. It says this, Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads these writings and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men Came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and the nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever. This is his mom, and she has to say this. O king, live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a male, man in your kingdom who is the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles of my father, the king that, brought, that was brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Okay, let's stop there for a second. So here we have King Belshazzar who has this wild kind of crazy rave party. And out of nowhere, fingers on a hand begin to start writing on the wall. Now I have a feeling that Belshazzar at first looked at this and thought, Whoa, too much Chardonnay, you know? I mean, I need to go to some coffee, I think. This is just too much. But then as he looks on this wall, the words actually make some sense. They're actual words. And it terrifies him. He can't understand this message, but it is frightening to him. And so he gets all of the people who know how to interpret things like this, and none of them can interpret it. But the queen, who is his mom, remembers an old advisor of King Nebuchadnezzar's. So Belshazzar sends some men out and they track him down. They pull him out in the middle of the night out of his bed and they bring him back to this rave that is going on. Now, why you got to remember, folks, when we first started Daniel at the very beginning of the summer, Daniel was a young man. He was in his late teens, his early 20s, but now 60 years have come and he's in his 80s and he's old. He moves very slow, he has wrinkles, and he has gray hair. Now I just want to tell you something about gray hair this morning, okay? Because I looked in the mirror today and I saw some gray in my goatee. And if you come up close enough, you'll see gray on the side. And I found uh, the idea that gray hair does not mean decrepitude, okay? That you can't function anymore. But actually, in the Bible, it talks about it being a person of high value. So let's look at Proverbs 16.31. It says this. Let's read this together, okay? All at once. One, two, three. Gray hair is a crown of splendor, okay? Okay? And this is what it's associated with. Manliness. Strength. And wisdom. Two out of three ain't bad. I'll tell you, you can figure out what those two are for me, okay? Now Daniel, now he's in his 80s. We knew him when he was young and strong and vibrant. But now he's an old man. We knew him as a person who sat at the right-hand side of King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the entire world. And now he's been totally discarded from anything in the palace whatsoever. In fact, did you see what Belshazzar says? He asks him this, Are you Daniel? He can't even remember who Daniel was. Daniel walks into this room, though, and he knows what's been going on. People are passed out all over the place. There's all kinds of uh, nakedness around. And Daniel realizes that this king has become a joke. I mean, this was the same king who trashed Daniel's career. He forgot Daniel's people. He had taken the goblets That Daniel had remembered as a little boy, knowing that only the priest ever touched these, and that they were honored to God, and now there were people just passing it around. And it was just like he had cursed God. And Daniel's there going, man, how could it get so bad? But now, Daniel looks and he sees the writing on the wall. And when Belshazzar sees it, he's freaked out. And so he says, tell me what this means. And then he tells Daniel, I'm going to give you a lot of presents, a lot of stuff. So it would bode well for Daniel to tell the king exactly what he wants to hear. Because if you have power, folks, and all of us have some power, you can get people who are underneath your power to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Because you hold the power. You hold life, you hold death. And that's what King Nebuchadnezzar was doing. But you know what? Even when you hold power and you try to get people to say what you want them to say, it doesn't always mean that you get the truth. Now, again, it would bode well for Daniel to just tell the king what he wants him to hear. But Daniel's an old man now. He's like, I don't play that game anymore. He says, you know what, it's clear to me that I'm not going to play by your rules. And so, you're not going to buy your way out of this one, Belshazzar. I'm going to tell you exactly what the truth is. And Daniel's so filled with courage because he knows God. He's not afraid to tell the truth. And this is what he says. Then Daniel answered the king in verse 17. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell you what it means. O king, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the kings wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew of heaven until he acknowledged the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdom of men and sets them over anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, You have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from His temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in His hand your life in all your ways. Now there's a lot of words there. Maybe you got lost in the middle of it, but there's a small little phrase in there that is one of the most powerful phrases in all of scripture. It's very very small, but it has power and it has power on us. And I'm just going to write down the phrase And here's the phrase. You knew. You knew. I mean, it's bad enough that King Belshazzar did some stupid and wicked thing. But he knew better. God had given him a front row seat of his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he saw him go through the pain that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, of his total kingdom being taken away, and him out eating uh, like the animals. He knew. He knew that God had given all things. He knew who God was. He knew what God wanted. And he knew the penalty for pride and arrogance towards God. And yet still, he just kind of turned his back on God. And he went and he did his own thing. He chose death. Friends, there are two dangers in the Christian life. There are two dangers in any life. And the two dangers are this. The first one is... You knew better. You knew better. The reality is, we know the difference between right and wrong. We know truth. And often, we avoid personal responsibility for knowing the truth because we want to do what we want to do. A couple of years ago, B.C., before children... I was, um, I was plagued by a disease, a disease called the lead foot syndrome. Every time I got into my car, I had a lead foot, and I sped very quickly all the time. And in a matter of one year, I got three tickets and one warning, and I even had to take defensive driver's school, Okay. And uh, my last ticket, though, I want you to know I believe in this recovery stuff that we're doing, okay? My last ticket was three years. Chuck laughs at me sometimes says, yeah, you get your three-year button. You know, my three years of not having uh, a ticket. And that last ticket happened uh, on University Avenue uh, near the village uh, where Ball State is at. And on that particular morning, because you don't forget when the last ticket you get before you go to defensive driving school, I got up at 6 a.m. Actually, I got up at 5 a.m. in the morning. 6 a.m., I met for prayer with a group of guys. At 7 o'clock, I started working on my teaching. I took off at 9 o'clock to go to the bank and do a couple of errands. I came back at uh, 10 o'clock for another meeting. At 11 o'clock, I made some phone calls I uh, worked on my teaching a little bit more, and at 12.30, I left to try to get to Marion, Indiana, which takes a lot more than a half hour, which my mom was having surgery at one o'clock. And at 12.33, I was on University Avenue driving down, when all of a sudden, I looked up in the mirror, and uh, there was a blue light flashing, and it was not a Kmart special. And it was Officer Watkins. Officer Watkins gave me the first ticket of that year, okay? On the exact same road. And he walked up to me, uh, or up to the car, and I rolled my window down. And at that point, he asked the favorite thing that, you know, we always love to hear. Do you know why I pulled you over? And I stopped at that point. And I was getting ready to answer, but he said, do you realize that the speed limit on University Avenue is 30 miles an hour? And I said, I had no idea that it was that much because, you know, I'm sure there were some signs that were posted there, but I was going way too fast to read any of those, you know. I didn't really say that, okay. And... uh, so I tried to start explaining to, me, to him my plight. And I said, well, you've got to realize that, you know, it's been a very hectic morning. My mom is having cancer surgery. And I tried to put that in, tried to soften him up. And I said, I don't know if you know this, but, but uh, I'm a pastor in the community, you know. And I really thought that was going to help. Now here is why he did not say to me. He did not say, oh, you didn't know and you're a pastor? Well, it's okay. I mean, like, if you knew what the speed limit was, then there would have been problems. But since you didn't know, it's okay. You didn't know. You're free. You're free to go in light of this information. He didn't say that. I mean, even though I wasn't going that fast, you know, just 2, 3, 17 miles an hour over the speed limit, Justice came my way that day. Now, of course, the truth is, folks, I've gone down university many times. I've got a ticket on there. I thought it was 35. It was 30. But I knew. You know what the problem was? I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know the truth. And I'll tell you, friends, One day, each one of us will stand before God on Judgment Day. And to have adopted a strategy of saying something like this I'm going to close my eyes and avoid looking at the signs and claim ignorance is just not a smart thing to do. Belshazzar did not want to know, so he closed his eyes. He didn't want to look at the signs. He pretended that what had happened to King Nebuchadnezzar would never happen to him. And he wanted nothing to do with Daniel. So he kicked him out. So he threw this party, a drunken fest rave, blew a little bit more money. But deep down inside, deep down inside, he knew. He knew. A second danger in the Christian life and all of life is this. You knew better, but you closed your eyes to sin. You knew better, but you closed your eyes to sin. I don't know about you, but I have a great ability of being able to ignore sin in my life. We, I avoid thinking about it, reading about it, talking about it, looking at those things that might convict me or cause me pain or cause me to actually change. And the truth is, folks, you and I know what's right. I know that God is judge. I know that Jesus Christ came to die on a cross for all of my sins. I know the pain that causes God every single time I choose to ignore Him. And yet, still, I sin. So I want to get really personal here, and it's this. I want to ask you a question. Is there any area in your life that you're closing your eyes to Is there any area in your life that you're closing your eyes to Maybe it's anger Man when you lose it you can draw blood with your words you can cut people like a knife And you avoid the looks of your children and your spouse and your coworkers and your friends Because you don't want to know. You've never admitted that you have a problem with anger, but you know that you do. You've never sought out help, but you know deep down inside, you do. Maybe it's spending. You just can't control to save your money and budget it out. And you know the thing that I've learned? You can be unemployed or you can be making six figures and people on both of those extremes and all the way in between have difficulty when it comes with spending money. Maybe you're in a prison of debt. You buy stuff. You know you don't need. You know you shouldn't buy it, but you do anyways. Maybe it's your health. You don't eat very well. You never exercise. You see your health deteriorating in front of your eye, but you just choose not to do anything about it. Either you overeat or you undereat. But when you look in the mirror, you know. You know. Maybe you're a mom or a dad, and you're making work your idol. And your children are shriveling up inside. You lose them a little bit more each day but you keep on working and you avoid reflecting and you stare away from friends that tell you, you need to slow down. You need more time with your kids. You're not looking at the signs, but deep down inside, you know. You know. Friends, this morning, I just want to say, whatever it is that you are closing your eyes to, open them up today. Do it today I mean belshazzar he knew better he, but he had closed his eyes to his sin he knew the day of reckoning was actually going to come one day he knew this was coming and so god writes on the wall three words he knew the first word this, mene, which means numbered. The illusion here that Belshazzar has is that it's my life. I can do with it whatever I want to do. My life belongs to me. I'm the king. I'm free to do whatever I want to do with whatever I want with my life. I don't have to be responsible to anyone else. But the truth is, God said, your days are numbered, Belshazzar. And friends, your life is not just your life. You are where you are because God has placed you where you are. And he has gifted you and appointed you to do something with your life of extreme significance. Do you realize that? Every single one of you, God is desiring that you would do something with your life of extreme significance. Not just significance, not just coming on Sunday morning, but extreme, life-changing significance. So the question becomes, what are you going to do with your one and only life? Because the reality is, your days are numbered, just like Belshazzar's. Here's the second word. "takel," And it means you have been weighted on the scales. It kind of has this economic measuring thing. You have been weighted on the scales, and you have been found wanting. Now, what does that mean? It means this. The illusion for Belshazzar here is this. If it is possible, if I'm clever enough, if I'm strong enough, if I'm powerful enough, I can take away the wrongdoing in my life. If it's possible to get away with it, I can do it. This is something that goes real deep in people. It happens to people in the church all the time. I'm always amazed. There may be a sin in their life and they'll hide it and mask it forever. You know why? Because they don't want somebody else to find out. It might damage in, it might damage their rep. It might cause a little scandal. People might talk. People might not think of me as great as I am. I'll just keep it to myself. Then I'll be okay. You know, folks, it really doesn't matter what anybody else knows. It doesn't. It Doesn't matter what other people know. All that matters is what God knows. And you know what God knows? God knows everything. I mean, you can close your life, you can close your eyes to the sin in your life, but God still knows. God says to Belshazzar and to us today. I see every action. I know everything. I'm not a God to be uh, one that uh, you know, just walks away from you. I know how to love you. I know how to discipline you. I know what's best for you. The judgment of God. Here's the last word. And it means broken. Broken. Or divided. Here's the illusion. Belshazzar thought my life is going the way that I want it to go. And it will go that way as long as I want it to. I might know that there are some things in my life, in my character that need fixing. But there is plenty of time to take care of any of that stuff. And I'll do it when I'm good and ready. And Belshazzar was a fool because something that we'll find out later on, as he's at this drunken stupor party, outside his palace, armies are gathering to break his kingdom and divide it forever. Belshazzar's life would be taken that very night, and all his stuff would be lost. I just want you to know, folks, you only have this moment. You don't have any other... This is the moment you have. For Belshazzar, that was his last night on earth. His last night. God wrote on the wall these three things and it was it. And that night, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was slain. He was killed. He was alienated from God for the rest of his life. And he went away with no hope. So my question is, how about you? If today turned out to be your last numbered day, and the reality is, folks, I'm not softening it to this morning because it's what the text says, but if it was your last numbered day today, is there any unfinished business in your life? Is there anything in your life that you know you need to take care of? Maybe for some of you, you've never really given yourself fully to God. You've done the church thing, you've been here, maybe the first time you've been here, but you've never really totally given yourself to God. And maybe today's your day to say, God, I want you to be the center of all that I am. Just don't walk away today without making that. Maybe for others of you, you need to forgive someone. Somebody hurt you really, really bad, and you've been kind of carrying this grudge and bitterness for a long time. And why not do it today? Maybe for other people, you've hurt them. You need to ask forgiveness from them. So why not do it today? Maybe for others of you, you need to change your parenting style or the way you relate to your spouse or coworkers or friends. Why not make that change today? Maybe there's some serious habit in your life that you've just been putting on hold. You've never uh, sought help for it. But today, you can do it. You see, folks, some of us, we know better. But we've just been closing our eyes. And I think what God is trying to say to you and to me is open your eyes. Why not do it today? Let's stand for closing prayer. God, uh, you know that as I prepared this this week that I knew it was going to be a tough question. To be honest, <laughs> I kind of hoped that there wouldn't be a lot of people here today that because of my own insecurity that I, I wouldn't offend folks. God, sometimes your word is offensive. It's not offensive to our feelings or to make us feel bad or guilty or worried or anything. But sometimes it defends God because you just see so much more potential in us than we think in ourselves. God, you know all about our lives. You know all about our hearts. You know how stubborn we can be, how off track we can get. So help everyone in this place this morning to humble themselves to you. To submit their life to you, to turn themselves over to you. And for some people in this place, this may be their day. And if this is your day to say, Jesus, you know, I can't do this life anymore on my own. I just keep messing it up. I know I need you. And you might say this prayer God, thank you for sending your son to die for my sins confess the sins that I know. And I no longer close my eyes to the sin in my life. But I receive this day your forgiveness and love and truth. And I claim you as Lord and I know I receive fully Love. You're such a loving God, and I thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of abundant life that you give me now, and the hope that you give that will be a reality when we see you face to face of eternal life. Many of us might leave this place today. Another teaching, another check mark. God, I pray that you. Here, but it would follow people and more importantly, that they would be receptive to change in life. Would you do that? For your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks.